Hello, and welcome to I Know Dino, the, the Big, Big Dinosaur, Dinosaur Podcast, Podcast, where we cover news, interviews, and discussions of all things dinosaur. Hello, and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. And today we'll be talking about Bogoceratops and a bunch of dinosaur news. But first, we want to thank all of our patrons. As of this recording, we're up to 19, which is awesome. Well on our way to our next goal, where if we reach 200 a month, we'll send all of our patrons an awesome sticker of our logo. So yeah, if you enjoy our podcast and you want to support us, then please check out our page at patreon.com slash inodino. Now jumping into the news, our first article comes from the publication Vertebrata Pal-Asiatica. In an article that is open to the public, I couldn't find if it was an open access journal or not. Most of the website's in Chinese, so it was kind of hard to tell. But it's titled, A New Hadrosauroid Dinosaur from the Late Cretaceous of Tianjin, Shaanxi Province in China. It was written by Shi Chao Tzu and others. From the title, you can tell it's a hadrosauroid, and that means hadrosaur-like, but not necessarily in the actual hadrosaur family. We've talked about this quite a bit in the past because it's a little bit confusing with hadrosaurid versus hadrosauroid. This specific one is named Datong Long Tianjinensis, and the generic name Datong is from Datong City, and Long means dragon in Chinese, so we see Long a lot in the Chinese dinosaur discoveries. And the specific name comes from the county where it was discovered. It was discovered in the Tianzhen County in the Shaanxi province in China, which is just a bit to the west of Beijing, so pretty close to Beijing. Su indicates it's from the Upper Cretaceous in the Huikanpu Formation. Tatong Long is related to other hadrosauroids, but it has one unique feature. So you may remember our earlier discussions about dental batteries, which is basically hundreds of teeth packed so tightly together that they serve as a grinding surface for tough plants. And remember, dinosaurs were eating different plants than we had around now. If you're familiar with cycads, they're these really tough fern sort of plants. So they needed really strong teeth and the ability to do some good grinding with their jaws, more so than something like a cow that just picks out pretty relatively fragile blades of grass and things like that. So Hadrosaurids are characterized by a very particular type of dental battery, but since Datonglong had a key difference in its dental batteries, it's considered a hadrosauroid, and the difference was enough to make it its own genus also. In fact, all they found of Datonglong was its right dentary, which is basically half of its jaw plus some teeth. So the thing that makes it unique is that, quote, different from all other hadrosauroids, Tatonglong possesses two functional teeth in each alveolus, end quote. And much like many of you, I had no idea what this meant at first. But it turns out what that means is that there are two teeth coming out of each tooth socket. It kind of makes sense that this would happen since all the teeth were so tightly packed, but it also causes a unique pattern of ridges on the grinding surface, which is what gave it its unique genus name. So we don't know anything about what it looked like or what its range was, but this finding gives us a more complete view of some of the different teeth layouts that hadrosauroids had before hadrosaurids eventually evolved from them. 
And even though we know that Tatonglong was around before the Hadrosaurid family, we don't know which group of Hadrosauroids eventually evolved into Hadrosaurids and which ones died out without evolving into anything else. But the authors are hopeful that more findings in the area will help us figure out the specific phylogeny in the future, and then we'll know which group of hadrosauroids became hadrosaurids. Next in the news, a group of scientists, including Carl Bates, Philip Bannion, Peter Falkingham, Stephen Brousset, John Hutchinson, Alejandro Otero, William Sellers, Corwin Sullivan, Kent Stevens, and Vivian Allen, published a paper in the Royal Society Publishing called Temporal and Phylogenetic Evolution of the Sauropod Dinosaur Body Plan, which I was pretty excited about because I love sauropods. They created 3D computer models of sauropods, sauropods that lived through the Middle Triassic through the end of the Cretaceous to figure out how sauropods evolved over time and became so large. Early sauropods were small and bipedal, and gradually their limbs grew longer and they became quadrupedal. Necks in particular became longer, some more than 21 feet or 6.4 meters long, as well as larger, especially in titanosaurs. According to Philip Mannion, quote, these innovations in body shape might have been key to the success of titanosaurs, which were the only sauropod dinosaurs to survive until the end Cretaceous mass extinction 66 million years ago, end quote. The study admits that because not many complete sauropod skeletons have been found, it's hard to keep everything consistent in their models. It's also not clear exactly why necks kept getting bigger, but it's possible that taller vegetation started growing around the same time. Peter Falkingham created a 30-second animation that shows the computer modeling for Giraffe Titan and posts links on our blog. Yeah, I remember in the exhibit we went to in the American Museum of Natural History, they also said if you're really big and you have a really long neck, it's also easier to eat a lot of food. You don't have to move around as much. You can just sweep your neck back and forth, kind of like a sprinkler. Yeah. So that was another reason I remembered. Speaking of evolution and different types of dinosaurs, there's an article titled The Early Expression of Squamosal Horns and Periental Ornamentation Confirmed by New End-Stage Juvenile Pachycephalosaurus Fossil from the Upper Cretaceous Hell Creek Formation, Montana. And it was published in the Journal of Vertebrate Paleontology, which is behind a paywall, but luckily National Geographic has a good article about it. The original article was written by Mark Goodwin and David Evans, and the National Geographic article was written by Brian Switek. From the title, you might be wondering what squamosal horns and periental ornamentation are, just like I was when I read that. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you've seen a pachycephalosaurus head, then you're probably already familiar with those features. Squamosal horns are the horns on the back of their head. And periental ornamentation in this context refers to the ornamentation in the area where an adult pachycephalosaurus had its big dome eventually. So in younger pachycephalosaurs, there's more ornamentation there than just a big bone, is what they're saying. From the title, you know that it's in the Hell Creek Formation, but more precisely, they were found in Garfield County, Montana, which is northeast of Billings. They believe that it is the smallest and therefore the youngest pachycephalosaurus yet discovered. Pachycephalosaurs are the dinosaurs that are often shown butting heads, although that's not broadly accepted at all. But previously, Jack Horner had said that he believes Draco Rex and Stygimoloch to be juvenile forms of pachycephalosaurus, 
because the main difference is the head ornamentation that could have developed later. And he thought he had some good evidence to show that the bone was still developing in these Draco Rex and Stygimoloch specimens showing that they were subadults. And another reason that he thought they might all be the same is that all three were found in the Hell Creek Formation, and they were all about 66 million years old. So they're all in the same place, the same time. They look really similar, except for one feature is a little bit suspicious. In this case, they found three small bones, which really doesn't sound like much until you look at them next to a Draco Rex skull and you see the similarities. So they're all just pieces of the skull and really small pieces. They're smaller than a lot of large carnivore teeth even. They're just little bits. So the similarities in the horn patterns in these small bones to the three related pachycephalosaurs make Goodwin and Evans believe that there are enough similarities to show that the three dinosaurs were in fact the same. So they're supporting Jack Horner's previous conclusion. Personally, I'll be interested to see if anyone sees this as just a juvenile Draco Rex, or if the paleontological community supports this idea more now, and if Draco Rex and Stygimoloch become junior synonyms. I'm not sure. Could be the subject of a hot debate. Yeah. When you look at the bones, to at least to me, they really just look like a small Draco Rex. But I think the key for Goodwin and Evans was that some of those horns on the back of the head looked more like Pachycephalosaurus features we had seen before. So it combined a really young specimen that looked like a Draco Rex on top, where there should have been a dome if it was a Pachycephalosaurus, and some horns on the back that look like they should have been on a pachycephalosaurus to show that it's kind of bridging that gap where it's likely that those horns on the back of the head developed early on Draco Rex and then it turned into pachycephalosaurus later. And by naming convention, that means it was just pachycephalosaurus the whole time. There is another cool video that was released online. Sputnik News shared this seven-minute video that shows the evolution of dinosaurs there's a silhouette of a man walking towards the dinosaurs who pass him by and they gradually get larger and larger. And it's cool to see that some of the dinosaurs are the same size as dogs and then it ends with Argentinosaurus, which may have been as long as 35 meters or 115 feet. There's at least one person we talked to on Twitter who was kind of disappointed with the video because there were no labels for the dinosaurs, but I kind of saw it as a fun little test see how many dinosaurs <laughs> you could recognize. Yeah, and it might make it more future-proof as some of the dinosaurs' names change, or they decide Argentinosaurus wasn't actually that big, but there's a different Titanosaur that was around that size. <laughs> Could be, but I mean, the way we know that dinosaurs look could also change, so. That's true. Hard to say, but it's fun. Seven minutes. Next, thanks to Oliver who shared this one with us via Twitter. BBC published an interesting article called Legendary Dinosaurs That We All Imagine Completely Wrong. The author goes through the histories of Velociraptor, as we know Michael Crichton intentionally called Deinonychus Velociraptor because he thought it sounded better, Archaeopteryx, which is technically a bird, but according to Stephen Prusette, quote, it's basically impossible to draw a line on the evolutionary tree between dinosaurs and birds, which is why I think the author included Archaeopteryx, Triceratops, you know, the debate over Triceratops and Taurosaurus, which we covered in our interview with Josh Cotton back in an earlier episode. Brontosaurus. We go over in depth in our children's book, What Happened to Brontosaurus, if you want to know more. 
basically its back, which is awesome. T-Rex, and how T-Rex probably had some feathers. Stegosaurus, and how its plates were probably bright and meant to attract mates. Pachycephalosaurus, which, as Garrett just mentioned, it probably didn't headbutt. Ankylosaurus, which, according to the author, is, quote, a modern super soldier. <laughs> sort of. Well, <laughs> it's better than what scientists originally thought. They thought it was kind of clunky and slow, and now we know that it's a living tank. Yeah, that's true. And it could move. Definitely. Oh, and also Spinosaurus, and how we now know it was aquatic, or at least semi-aquatic. The article also briefly mentions pterosaurs, and the author admits they're not actually dinosaurs. But it's interesting, it talks about how some pterosaurs were small, with a wingspan of only 10 inches or 25 centimeters, and some were really large, with a wingspan of 32.8 feet or 10 meters. Yeah. Quite a difference. So in the UK, the gateway to Seton Jurassic, a World Heritage Site, opened up on March 26th. According to The Independent, quote, one thing you'll learn from the many interpretation boards is that the Jurassic Coast is all about color, notably red, white, and bluish, end quote. So red represents the Triassic period, blue-gray is the Jurassic, and white is the Cretaceous. They have these white chalk cliffs. And apparently, quote, the Jurassic Coast, which stretches 95 miles, displays the most complete record anywhere in the world, end quote, of the Mesozoic. And the town of Seton is the only place where you can see elements of the Triassic, Jurassic, and Cretaceous together, which is pretty cool. If you have a chance to visit, Seton Jurassic is open every day from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., and it costs 8 pounds for adults and 5 pounds for children, so not too bad. Plus, you get to see three different periods all in one place. Yeah, it sounds really cool. Someday, we'll get there. Next in the news, the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement's Homeland Security Investigations returned several fossils to the Mongolian government, and the abbreviation for Immigration and Custom Enforcement is ICE, which is one of the coolest abbreviations for a government agency, I think. <laughs> We've mentioned before that it is illegal to export dinosaur fossils from Mongolia, in fact, it's even illegal to privately own fossils in Mongolia. According to ICE.gov, some American officials and Mongolian officials had a ceremony in New York when they turned over the fossils. And I wish we knew more what the ceremony was like, because that sounds kind of like a funny thing to have a ceremony over. Yeah. Like, hey, this was stolen, but here you go. You can have it back. wonder how solemn it was. Yeah, there aren't any pictures of it. There's a couple pictures of what they returned, and they refer to it as a ceremony. But there were quite a few fossils that were returned. They say on their website, quote, The returned pieces include nearly complete skeletons of Bactrosaurus, Protoceratops, and Cetacosaurus, a nest of Protoceratops eggs, and the skulls of an Allioramus and a Cetacosaurus, end quote. That's quite a few dinosaurs and eggs and everything. It was a pretty big nest of eggs. It looked like there were almost a dozen eggs in there. According to ICE, quote, those involved in the illicit trafficking of cultural property, art, and antiquities can face prison terms of up to 20 years, fines, and possibly restitution to purchasers of the items, end quote. And they say that since 2007, they have, quote, repatriated more than 8,000 items to more than 30 countries, end quote. That's a lot. It is. I kind of wonder how much of it is dinosaur material. They didn't specify. But I know back in 2004, they said they returned so many dinosaur fossils to Mongolia that it was enough to open a museum. <laughs> wow. wonder if they have opened a museum. They, I think they do have a museum now. 
I'm not sure if it was from those fossils or not, though. <laughs> Could be a mix. Yeah. We're a little bit late, but they're still fun to talk about. We heard about some good April Fool's dinosaur jokes, dinosaur-themed jokes. So, Omaru Mail in New Zealand posted this story about dinosaur bones that were found at a construction site, identified by Professor Ahaha Gachu as the leg <laughs> and shoulder bones of Duryuthinkosaurus. Parentheses, is this a real namus? <laughs> they said the dinosaur was nicknamed Barney and that, quote, New Zealand's leading paleontologist Alan Grant said he had not been this excited since 1993, end quote. <laughs> That's pretty good. It was pretty good. <laughs> they almost got me. <laughs> and next, thanks to the Parkasaurus blog for sharing this one with us via Twitter, the Fluorescent Fossil Beds National Monument posted a picture on Facebook of a, quote, major discovery at Fluorescent Fossil Beds. It was of a photoshopped dinosaur that looks like it was made in paint. <laughs> it's pretty cute. The page said that they used, quote, special aerial photography, end quote, to discover the dinosaur. And the post got a few comments, including one from someone who said, what kind of mattresses do you sell? Are fossil beds extra firm? <laughs> <laughs> pretty funny. Pretty cute. Next, William Henry, a design company in Portland, sells jewelry and accessories made out of dinosaur bones. Matt Conable, the CEO, said, quote, Dinosaur bone has been solidified over millions of years. It can't be confused with any other bone, and there's nothing else that looks like it, end quote. They've also made a gold pen out of petrified dinosaur egg. Not surprisingly, fossils are delicate and not the easiest to work with, so sometimes it takes them up to six months to create jewelry from it. William Henry has celebrity customers, including Brad Pitt, Anthony Hopkins, and Harrison Ford. And William Henry's stuff is pretty pricey. For example, they have a pocket knife that sells for $35,000. So Garrett and I, our wedding bands are actually made out of fossils, but it was much, much cheaper. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's any really big name. It's a guy on Etsy who made them for us. It's not. And I kind of question the there's nothing else that looks like it because... At first glance, you wouldn't know that it was a dinosaur fossil. Yeah, I don't know why dinosaur bone on a small scale looks any different than any other fossil from that age. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me when you cut it into a little tiny piece. Because our, our wedding bands were made from one single little tiny scrap that couldn't even be identified as what dinosaur it was. It was just a useless little tiny piece of fossil but it was from a bone bed with lots of dinosaur pieces, so they knew it was... The Morrison formation. Yeah. But we'll never know which dinosaur. Yeah. And I'm not even really totally convinced that it is definitely a dinosaur. But... I am. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, if it can't be mistaken for anything else, then it must be. Wherever in Portland, maybe we can take a look at their jewelry. Yeah. Compare it. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a cool store. Yeah. There's another great T-Rex costume story. A design student in Detroit regularly wears this seven-foot T-Rex suit. And she started wearing it to help fundraise for an art exposition. And now she just, quote, roams Midtown as the Detroit designosaur, dancing in the streets, visiting city landmarks, attacking cars, handing out hugs, and taking pictures with amused bystanders, end quote. Hmm. Not everyone likes it, especially dogs and kids. I could see kids getting upset if a seven-foot T-Rex suit comes at you. But there's some great photos, including one of her in the T-Rex costume getting an MRI. Hmm. Doesn't really fit. Is that the uh, inflatable one that we keep seeing? Yeah, it's the inflatable one. Gotcha. 
was trying to imagine one of those huge, oh, more no. realistic ones getting into an MRI machine. No, no, the seven foot one. That's the inflatable one. Yeah, that's funny. In central Fresno, California, people who ride the Willis B. Kyle Express train at Storyland Playland Park can now see fiberglass dinosaur models that were made in the Philippines. There are 18 life-size dinosaurs on what's called Dinosaur Island. Apparently it costs about $30,000, which is cheaper than I would have expected. Some of the dinosaurs that you can see include Triceratops, Velociraptor, and Stegosaurus, and Playland will be reopening in May after closing for the winter. Apparently they're hoping to get more visitors and I think raise some money. They were having some issues. Next, just really quick, if you're a fan of the good dinosaur, Mozilla Firefox now has a good dinosaur theme so you can personalize your background. Oh, that's cool. Just saying. And also on the web, if you're looking for a cool dinosaur graphic, Pixabay has a fun free brontosaurus vector that you can download and we'll post both these links on our blog some good news, Field Station Dinosaurs, which was in Secaucus, New Jersey, but had to move last year to make room for a high school, has found a new home in Overpeck County Park in Bergen County, New Jersey. And we've talked about Field Station a few times. We went there when it first opened in Secaucus. Yeah, it was cool. Mm -hmm. Although it was a lot like a lot of those dinosaur animatronics where if you're an adult, there isn't necessarily a ton to do because it's just an outdoor exhibit. There isn't really... Anything to look at except for they dinosaurs had a, moving. They had a bit. cool uh, T-Rex made out of balloons. I liked that. In yeah, that yurt. was cool. Yeah, but it's it's a lot to just walk around and see. And It's more like a park that has dinosaur sculptures in it than it is animatronics. They barely move. Yeah. They might have added to it since it opened. Could be, yeah. Because they were offering annual passes, so imagine <laughs> there there might be more to do now. Could be. Or maybe they're just really popular for birthday parties. I, that seems like the most likely. <laughs> <laughs> Next, the city of Vernal, Utah, which Garrett and I have actually stayed in, has a new marketing campaign centered around two creatures named Vern and Al <laughs> that have adventures in Dinosaur National Monument. The campaign started on April 4th, and Vern is a quote-unquote sensible pterodactyl, and Al is a quote-unquote bumbling allosaurus. <laughs> I guess that's to prevent Al from eating Vern. Maybe. <laughs> so they, quote, meet on a rafting expedition along the Green River and continue to discover a world of adventure as they explore all that the Dinosaur National Monument area has to offer, end quote. The idea is to educate kids and the plan is to create children's books that visitors can pick up for free at visitor centers and hotels in Vernal. So drum up some more business. That actually kind of makes me want to go back to Vernal. <laughs> It was pretty cool. It was. They already had a bunch of dinosaur statues and signs everywhere. <laughs> yeah, because Dinosaur National Monument is so close, and there really aren't any other even moderately sized cities within like 50 miles. Yeah. So they've pretty much got the dinosaur market cornered over there. There's a place called Dinosaur Colorado that's on the Colorado side of Dinosaur National Monument, but it's this little tiny city, and I don't even know if it has a hotel. Maybe it has one. It might. Vernal's not that big either. It's several hotels, though. Yeah. I guess they had some kind of oil boom or something. <laughs> some fossil fuels. Yeah. Next, a Kickstarter campaign by Dinosaur Egg Farm is raising money to make people more aware about wildlife preservation groups by creating, quote, stillborn dino plushies. Hmm. They have a T-Rex and Triceratops. They come in dinosaur eggs. They're actually pretty cute plushies, but they have X's over their eyes. And when I first looked at it, I had no idea why they had X's over their eyes. 
So a $15 pledge will get you one egg. A $25 pledge will get you both. And their goal is to raise $5,000, but they already have more than $10,000 as of this recording pledged. And they have about a month left to go in their campaign. So they're doing really well. That's super creepy. I don't like it. I don't know. They're still pretty cute. They have X's for eyes. Like cute X's. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. It's an interesting message. Yeah. Or an interesting way to send a message. I'm going to move on to something happier. Okay. <laughs> so thanks to Ethan for emailing us about the song, I Am a Paleontologist by They Might Be Giants. We already liked this band, but we hadn't seen this album, and it's called Here Comes Science. <laughs> it's a really entertaining and scientifically accurate song where they describe what a paleontologist does, and then after describing what a paleontologist does, they have a bunch of kids join in that name a few dinosaurs. Really catchy song. Yeah, it's probably already stuck in Sabrina's head. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Aside from that song, I also really enjoyed Why Does the Sun Shine, followed by Why Does the Sun Really Shine, <laughs> <laughs> with two different explanations. And the song Science is Real was also pretty fun. They sell it on Amazon as like a DVD-CD combo. It's supposed to be an educational thing. And it's pretty entertaining if you have kids. It's a lot less grating than a lot of children's educational music. So Yeah, we're thinking of sending it to some of our friends with kids. Yeah. The album cover has a dinosaur labeled Apatosaurus on it. And apparently this is They Might Be Giants' third children's album after Here Come the ABCs and Here Come the One Two Threes, which they got a Grammy for. So I guess the whole series is Here Comes Something. <laughs> yeah, good for them. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. And we'll post a link on our website if you want to get your hands on it. And that's it for the news. Now on to the dinosaur of the day, Bogoceratops, which was requested from Jill via Patreon. So thanks, Jill. The name means small horned face, and fossils were found in the 1970s in the Gobi Desert as part of a joint expedition with Mongolian and Polish scientists. It was described in 1975 by Teresa Marianska and Halska Osmolska. They found five complete and 20 partial crania, skulls from different ages, juveniles and adults, as well as different sizes. And the type species is Bogoceratops rozdesvensky. The species name is in honor of Anatoly Konstantinovich rozdesvensky, a Russian paleontologist. A juvenile Bogoceratops was renamed Bogoceratops in 2000 by Paul Sereno, so it was actually first named Protoceratops Kozlowski, and then renamed in 1992 Brevoceratops Kozlowski, and then renamed again in 2000 to Bogoceratops. One reason there might have been some confusion is that Bogoceratops is really closely related to Protoceratops. It looked similar to Protoceratops except for the shape of its head. Bogoceratops had a triangular-shaped head. Bogoceratops lived millions of years after Protoceratops, but it's considered to be more primitive, which is interesting. This is because it was small and more like early Ceratopsians. Like Protoceratops, Bogoceratops had a beak, no brow horns, and a small horn on its snout. It had a small frill and again a triangular skull. It was about 3.3 feet or 1 meter long and weighed 50 pounds or 22 kilograms, and it was quadrupedal. Its front legs were shorter than its hind legs, and it was an herbivore. It ate ferns, cycads, and conifers, and it used its parrot-like beak to bite off leaves. It also had cheek teeth to help grind up plants. And you can see Bogoceratops at the Paleobiological Institute in Warsaw, Poland. 
And it looks pretty cute, at least the life restoration pictures I've seen of it. And I know Jill mentioned she would like to have a Bogoceratops as a pet. <laughs> yeah, Sabrina likes her dinosaurs either really small or really huge and always herbivorous. Well, I don't want them to eat me. <laughs> <laughs> the medium-sized ones bore you, too. They don't bore me, but <laughs> I mean, if I'm going to get trampled by a dinosaur, it might as well be a huge one. I guess. <laughs> So Bacoceratops is part of Ceratopsia, and Ceratopsia is a group of herbivores dinosaurs that lived in North America and Asia in the Cretaceous. They had parrot-like beaks and cheek teeth to eat fibrous vegetation, and they were ornithischians. They also had a frill that they used for defense or regulating body temperature or attracting mates or signaling danger, and they probably traveled in herds and could then stampede if threatened. And our fun fact of the day came from when I was talking about Garfield County that's in Montana earlier. So I looked it up on Google Maps and it pointed out that there are less than 1,300 people there in the entire county. <laughs> wow. So I wanted to put the density, the population density into perspective. And it's a really important area within the Hell Creek Formation because there were several huge T Rex, Triceratops, and other dinosaur finds there. And really, that area and other parts of Hell Creek are the reason that everybody loves T-Rex and Triceratops and knows all these dinosaurs, because they were some of the early discoveries and they have some really good complete fossils from that area. But despite that, and the fact that its land area is 15 times the size of New York City's five boroughs, which includes Staten Island, the Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, and Manhattan, it has almost exactly one one hundred thousandth of the population density of New York City because they only have 1,280 people. That's so much that space. huge area. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit jarring when you go from a big city to somewhere that's that expansive where you drive for like two hours without seeing another vehicle or another person, but you see like thousands of cows. <laughs> <laughs> but it's pretty cool. It's really an awesome place to visit, and I highly recommend that everybody take a drive through Montana to check out all the dinosaur museums and sites. It's really strange. The county seat of Garfield is a city called Jordan, which I think has about 300 people in it, but they have a dinosaur museum, even though it's only 300 people in the whole city. And there's lots of little towns around Montana that have less than a thousand people, but have a dinosaur museum or two because there's so many awesome dinosaur discoveries from there. And they'll often have a huge bone that you can touch that's a real fossil and all sorts of cool stuff. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's a really fun place to drive through. And it's really neat to be in the place where they're actually discovered, rather than when you're at the American Museum of Natural History or the Smithsonian, when you're thousands of miles away and they've all been shipped in. There might not be any paleontologists around. The other fun thing is you're often the only person in the museum, <laughs> so you can get really good pictures and you can talk to the staff for as long as you want and get their undivided attention. So definitely worth going to the middle of nowhere Montana if you want to see some good dinosaur sites. But make sure you go during the summer when the roads and the museums are still open because it's a very seasonal kind of thing. They're typically only open from Memorial Day to Labor Day, so don't go in the winter. <laughs> And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening. And again, if you want to support our podcast, help us reach our goal of sending everybody stickers, then please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash I Know Dino. Until next time. Thank you for listening to I Know Dino. If you have any questions or comments about dinosaurs, we'd like to hear from you at plesiosaur at 
iknowdino.com. And for more information on dinosaurs, go to iknowdino.com or follow us on Google, Facebook, Tumblr, or Twitter at iknowdino.